I'm from Zimbabwe. Being African, uh, praying using words alone is not enough. So I brought my little friend Jenny, and she's going to help me feel a bit more comfortable about praying. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I wrote this when I was 13 years old. I shared a little bit of my testimony in the morning service uh, when I kind of took ownership of my faith journey. Um, and I wrote this part of this song when I was 13 years old. I finished it when I was about 16. Um, but it goes something like this as a prayer. That is out of tune. I apologize. Father, we know that we are sinners. Jesus, I ask that you would heal us. Spirit, I pray that you would fill our hearts. Come now and take your place. Come now and heal us by your And make a generation of restoration And break the chains that bind us to the evil of this world Cause Lord we want to praise you and glorify your name Come now Take your place Come now And heal us by your grace And make a generation Of restoration Break the chains that bind us To the evils of this world Lord, we want to praise you and glorify your name. Come now and take your place. Come now and heal us by your Amen. I was very young, um, so everything had to rhyme, not necessarily make sense. It's just grace and place. And, but it was, it was, that was what was in my heart. I was, I was watching, uh, as a sort of introduction, growing up in Zimbabwe in a place where uh, I was born in a white area, and that's very difficult to explain here because it's like, what does that mean? But it was segregated. No black people allowed at all. And I was born there, and I had to be put in a, in a shoebox on a shelf and hidden when the police came to look for any kids or any... Um, uh, and it was quite scary growing up in that place. 
But it was incredible to me, just like this morning, that even though legally there was this segregation, not legally, according to the laws of the land at the time, the children had no idea about this segregation. All the girlfriends I've ever had have been white in a segregated area. All the friends I had were white. I, went, I was the first black guy in my school. And I never thought of myself as black. In fact, I thought I looked like Tom Selleck, if you were all know someone. So I would, I would walk around like Tom Selleck and, uh, and talk like Tom Selleck. And, and people would be like, what are you doing, you know? And it was only when I got older that the color thing became an issue. But in the neighborhood, which was meant to be a racist neighborhood, I never experienced racism. It was just incredible. And it was because there was a generation of people in that neighborhood who just went, no. I'm not going to let this happen. In fact, they did it so well I didn't even notice. I thought other people, other black people, shouldn't be coming into my neighborhood because, you know, that's the role of the land. I never saw myself as part of the excluded bunch. And it's incredible how a generation can just stand up and go one day, no, we're not accepting that. Egypt. Enough. We're not having it. National debt. So many poor countries in the world that owe the rich countries a lot of money. There was a generation that just went, you know what? Enough is enough. We're going to fight this. We're going to make sure that poor people don't have to pay what they don't have. A generation took a stance. It happened to me this morning, and it keeps happening to me, I think because God is very powerfully present in this church. I have notes. I, I did some preparation, and all of it goes out the window. And I, you know, I don't like working with God because he tends to, choose, to change the agenda every time. Here we were talking, me and him, last night, saying, what am I going to say to these people? I don't know them, but, you know, what do I say to these lovely people? And God was taking me through all this stuff, and, and he seems to be saying, go somewhere else with it. You're a generation of restoration. Not a generation of destruction. I shared this morning about my mum, who's a farmer. And I'm rubbish at farming. Anything I plant dies. That's just how it works. But my mum can plant almost any plant, that I've, and it grows, and it's lovely, and it, it loves her. Every time I walk past it, it withers. She walks past it, it grows. It's ridiculous. But she is absolutely incredible with plants. But one of the things that she taught me when I was very little, I don't know why this was, it was a philosophical thing as you do, mums and sons have these conversations. She said, if you plant a lemon seed, do not come back and expect an orange. I mean, I was six years old, so you know. <laughs> Lemons, oranges, I mean. But I guess I had some seeds in my hand, and I didn't really think about what those seeds were or what they did. I was just watching her and planting the same way she did, probably shoving them too deep and doing all the wrong sort of things. And I'd walk there every day and look at this thing and go, and then when they grew up and it had to be lemons, and I'd be going, well, that was a bit of a useless job, wasn't it? Because that's not very nice. But my mum, she said, six years later, I told you, but I was a baby, never mind, I was six years old. When you plant seeds, if you plant lemon seeds, do not come back expecting lemon, you know, oranges or apples. So here we are today. God has planted these seeds in this community. 
And John chapter 1 says, God, Jesus, came into the world, into what was his own. And his own didn't recognize him. There was no connection. I didn't recognize the lemons because I planted oranges in my head. But it was lemon seeds. Now, I don't think God makes mistakes like that. It's the other way around. I think we've been told we're lemons when in actual fact, well, I hope some of us are oranges. I don't have a problem with lemons. Just, it's just an example, okay? I don't have a problem with lemons at all. They're great on fish. It's fantastic. But, you know, at the time, as a six-year-old, lemons are a problem. Just explain. But God has planted you in this place with specific gifts and talents and specific looks that I have to say are unique to you. And thank God for some of you for that, because sharing some... But you know what I mean. You are planted in this place for a specific purpose and a reason. The question is, if Jesus came now... Would he recognize that? Would he see that plan and say, ah, that's what I made you for? Ah, see? Ah, ah, you see people? That's what I made her for. Or would he be a little bit confused about what was going on? And would you be a little bit confused about the questions he was asking? I asked another question about this church, and I was saying, well, to me, every church I go to, I end up being kicked out and never invited back again. And it's because this one question. So I'm going to be brave, because there were a lot of smiles when I started off. So I'm hoping there's still going to be smiles. But in so many years' time in the future, say this church is taken away, is the community going to realize that this church was important, that this was a vital, 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 vital part of the community? Are they going to notice at all? Today, if suddenly there's no Cambon church, is the community going to notice? Because if not, I don't know about you, but walking around with Jesus, I don't think the not being recognized thing or not being appreciated thing, or, you know, people knew when he wasn't around. Even the demons knew when he was not around. You remember the disciples who tried to cast out demons and they got beaten up a little bit and then ran back to Jesus. No, we couldn't do it. They recognized when Jesus wasn't there. And I just love what Anastasia shared this morning, that we, <laughs> Jesus has passed on that mantle, it's like a relay, to us. And you can tell a community where there are no Christians. There is no, but Christian Christ-like, that's what I translated as. There is no one like Christ in that community. And I'm not saying that's this community, but I'm asking the question. Will people recognize that they are children of God in this community. I love James Bond. And James Bond has a, has a dude called Q who kits him up with all kinds of gadgetry. And uh, Q is amazing because he always knows what the mission is and he's got stuff ready for James Bond to come and pick up. And he hands out all these gadgets and James Bond puts them on and, you know, like I said, destroy half the office in the process of trying out these gadgets. Now, I don't know who Q is in this church. Not saying any names. But there is somebody with the responsibility to hand out gifts to the children of God and pressure off anybody thinking it was them. I think the Holy Spirit is key. He's the one who gives out teaching, prophecy, healing, Kind words, love, smile. 
He just dishes them out. And they're powerful weapons. I work with very grumpy, very angry, very isolated, very difficult children and young people. And, you know, the most difficult thing is to start the conversation. The first time you meet a young person who's going through difficulty, they want to war against everything and everyone. And, of course, I've got some martial arts, so I know how to look after myself, as you can see. It works. But that's not going to work. They come ready, hoodie up, arms out there, even though they're really meant to be down here because there's nothing there. You know, it's just, it's just sure. And they walk towards you like this all the time, ready for what? You know, what, what do you mean what? What kind of question? How do you approach somebody and say what? That's not how, hello, you know, that's good, but what? What? Very angry. And just smiling at them. Can look really weird if you do it for half an hour. But in the first instance, just, <laughs> because they're still angry, but... <laughs> In the first instance, just smiling at them as they come in. Yeah, whatever. And you see it crack just a little bit. Those moments, it's not going to happen all the time, but those moments are incredible. Because it's almost like a light is breaking through, and do you know what? It's not from the outside. It's not from me. It's from inside of them where it's been hidden and dirtied up like that dirty light bulb. It breaks through, and you see this little light. And it's amazing. Just what a smile can do. And the Holy Spirit knew, yeah, you're going to need that too one day. And maybe you've got a funny smile, and people are always laughing at your smile. Guess what? That's why God gave it to you. Because you're the only person who anybody else, you crack that smile and I, oh yeah, okay, all right. I'm going to have to smile now. Maybe you've got a particular way of talking, and you think, actually, I'm a little bit hesitant to speak because I'm not very confident. But there's a, there's a place for you out there where that tool is going to be useful to talk to somebody who's intimidated by people like me who go, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, you know? And you're the sort of person who's going to give them a chance to actually go, do you know what? I'm not feeling very confident. And people intimidate me. They all kind of throw words at me. But you listen. Meanwhile, you're thinking, well, I'm just bad at talking, but never mind. <laughs> you know? But that's the gift that God has given you. One of the things that I observe with Q is that Q gives James Bond the tools, and uh, he doesn't just say, okay, now go and do it. He's got to talk James through how to use those gadgets. How do you use that gadget and that gadget? How do you use all these different bits? And he helps James to understand that you don't just blow up everything. You've got to do this, think about it, and use it like this and that sort of thing. And I think for me, which is particularly what I think I've been asked to speak about today, which is discipleship, is that while you're all gifted and talented and have all these different gifts, and trust me, everybody has a gift and a talent, you still need somebody to help you to gain the confidence to use them and to know how to use them well. I love that. Multi-generational worship. There was little to, you know, I won't say bigger, but little to, you know, nice people at the top. But, you know, all the generations, it's incredible. Because... You know, it's not that easy standing up there and leading worship. I've done it. I know it's not easy. But to have people sharing that and giving confidence to each other, that's, that's Q's gift. That's the Holy Spirit working right there. And I want to encourage you and to challenge you rather that for me, there has to be a transformation of the mind. Stop listening to the world telling you that you're lemons. 
Well, if you are, then listen, but you know. <laughs> Stop listening to what the world tells you. We, we, we allow, and this is, scares me. I was just talking to Peter. It scares me that we've now almost given the schools and the world the right to bring up our kids or how to bring up. You go learn how to be a child over there, and when you come back, we hope you'll be well-behaved and have values and all. No. Oh, you don't want the world teaching your kids. You really don't. Because they'll come back and say, I want an iPad now. And I want an iPad 3. And the next week I want an iPad 4. And then I want an iPad 55. That's what they come back with. But it's only from home that they go out and say, actually, my mom and dad don't like them kind of things. I'm not thinking I don't like iPads, but, you know, bad language or treating other people badly. They told me to be kind. They've told me to be loving. They've told me to smile. Share my gifts with people. Out there, letting them bring up the kids. I've seen kids without parents. I work with kids without parents. And it is not pretty. They have the right kind of emotions and it's all mixed up in there. And a lot of them are destructive emotions. Self-destructing in other people. There's a one story I want to share with you because she said I could. But this young lady came up. First time I met her and she said, my mom wants to kick me out. And I said, okay. We can deal with that. We'll talk to your mom, maybe talk to some housing people, see if you can be looked up. Then she said, well, my mom's had another kid. And she said, there's no more room in that family for me. How can you say, how can you even say that to a girl? 16 years old. There's no more room for you in this family. You've got to move out. Not just in the house, in this family. You've got to move out. And then she said, you know, I was kicked out of school. Nobody understands me. Everybody just talks at me. Nobody wants to listen to what I've got to say. I really struggle in school. Nobody's listening. I don't think this is my world. I think I belong somewhere else. I think I just want to leave, I think is what she said to me. I just want to go. Very, very sad. To have a child feel that unloved and uncared for in a world where there are churches. Now, I'm not saying that... (laughs) It's a big challenge, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying every child will understand the love that you're trying to share with them. I'm not saying everyone will receive that positively. But I don't want to be a a generation where the kingdom of God never appeared. I want to be the generation where God's... Remember that Isaiah verse? Not where people worshipped really well and prayed really well and had really nice home groups but a place where widows felt like they were not lonely anymore, where orphans felt, what's an orphan? Where when people moved into a new community, very quickly, they were just not people moving into a community, they were part of the community, really kind of helped to embed in the community and find their way in the community, feel welcomed and looked after. Each one of us has a role to play in that. But it, t- it starts with that uh, Romans 12 verse. The renewing of the mind to stop listening to what the world is saying. We're not lemons. We're not lemons. We're not here. Whatever God has asked you to be, this is the process you go through. Discipleship is about saying, what has called, called me here to do? What are the tools that I've got? How am I going to use them? And as you work together and struggle together to think about this community where you've been placed, I ask that you would pray that prayer, that God would renew your mind and he would re-equip you. And the end of that verse is very important, so that you may know his will. 
you may know his will. And then when you go out there, you're not confused about where you are, who you are, or what you are. You know his perfect will for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in your final hour, you prayed. In John 17, it says, you prayed to your Father. And you prayed and said, Lord, Father, I pray that they would be one, as we are one. That they would be one in you, Lord Jesus. And we pray to this morning that we would all be one in you. We would know the Father's will. That we can genuinely pray uh, the Father's prayer, uh, your will be done on earth as in heaven, knowing your will, understanding your will, understanding the calling that you've placed on our lives. That as we go out, Lord, we would not be satisfied with keeping the day of the Lord to one day, just a Sunday morning, but that, Lord, we would want to live every day as the Lord's day. So that, Lord, we may see that healing come into our land. So that we may, this community may be like that well-watered garden. So, Father, Holy Spirit, I want to lift all of these people to you, all of us, and pray that, Lord, you would equip us, you would teach us, you would nurture us, you would enable us to go out and to, to complete our part of the mission until your next return, until we see you again. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.